welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Make sure to find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. But please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou, joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Raptors lose yet again. We'll talk about that. Uh, we will also catch the latest, uh, you know, trade rumors. Uh, Kyle Irie just got traded, by the way. We can uh, talk about that in today's show. Uh, we will Poor catch up. guy. Poor guy, man. Uh, you know, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, Kyle Lowry jersey, I will not be purchasing that one. Um, it could be, it might end up being like the Jose Calderon Golden State Warriors jersey where there are copies of it yeah. that physically exist. It's yeah. like my holy grail merch item. Okay. It's like, All there. Right. I have been told with certainty a couple of Jose Calderon Warriors jerseys were created. He never, he spent like four minutes technically on the roster yeah. and then got cut. Well, I think Kyle's going to spend more than four minutes technically on the roster. Yeah, what but, we got, two I mean, and a half weeks? We'll see if he actually plays. Um, then we got Dennis Schroeder for the weekly checkup, see what's going on around the team. Obviously, frustrating loss last night. Ask him about that. Uh, we will check in on BBQ, Barnes, sure. Barrett, quickly. Uh, we got to get like a BBQ report. I don't even know. Yeah. We should come up with like a catchy name for this. I don't know. I'll tell you this much. It's a mild sauce right now. A oh, very mild sauce. A mild performance from... Uh, the three of them yesterday, mostly quickly though. I think uh, you know Scotty turning around and and and, and RJ was a uh, pretty decent throw. And then finally, we'll go around the NBA. Uh, it was the 18th anniversary of Kobe dropping 81 on the Raptors, I believe, yesterday. And Embiid got to 70, and Car Anthony Towns got to 62. Um, Car, you know, Kevin Durant, like the bum that he is, only had 43. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding, Kevin. Do not tweet at me, please. He had a winner though. He had the game winner Which, as well. Which uh, one yeah. of those guys with a big line did not have. Yes. And he also got slandered by his coach uh, after uh, dropping 62 also, in a loss. Also, but, we'll talk about that trade more, but it is very funny to me that amid a tank, the Hornets get like 60-plus hung on them by Carl Anthony Towns, mm. accidentally win the game, and the next morning they're like, we can't ever let this happen. Even Terry Rozier has got to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't have anyone helping us win basketball games at this point. They had like Rozier guarding Anthony Edwards for a lot of this thing. Whatever. The whole the whole Timberwolves team was chasing stats for uh, for Cat because um, there was at one point it looked like Cat may surpass 80 and get to that 81, may even threaten for 100. He had like 50 two or something like that through like with eight minutes left in the third yeah. quarter. So there was like, it's, it wasn't inconceivable. He would have to just continue that whole torrent. But um, anyway, uh, not a lot of scoring last night from the Raptors look, though. Yeah, no, uh, at one point, I think I tweeted this out. It really did look like Embiid and or cat might outscore yeah. the Raptors. The Raptors ended up pouring it on a little bit in the late third into the fourth, mm, but there was a stretch there where they were on. like stuck on 70 points late yeah. in the third quarter. It was like, man, Embiid might, I would score them here. Oh, was that that stretch where the Raptors missed like a whole bunch of layups? Yeah, and there was like, just turnovers back and forth. And, they they kept yeah. getting steals, and then like yeah, there was the one play where quickly like got blocked by the rim in transition. Basically, Gary got blocked by John Conchar. Yeah. Oh, John Conchar had a stretch in that game, and this is so depressing to say, mm. where he had that huge block on one end, then at the other end it got dumped off to him. He had another defensive play, and then I, I maybe hit a three or an offensive rebound or something like that. I just I remember I had John Conchar in my notes too many times in a yeah. row. And I was like, man, even as a an, a great appreciator of the white bo- the all white boy sleeves team mm. in the NBA, of which John Conchar is a starter, yeah. um, can't abide by John Conchar and Luke Kennard. Like Luke Kennard oh, was Luke Kennard. talking smack oh. in that game. What do you even think Luke Kennard trash talk sounds like, man? I don't know, man. I still sometimes accidentally think he's French, and it's Luke Kennard. Um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know, man. Restaurant. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, it was a bad way. Look, I, I guess 
That was tough. That was a tough game last night, man. It is. And, and it can't be like that every game. It really can't. We have to have standards. I know we're like tanking and we, we we're like trying to develop or whatever, but, but there's a huge you need standards. There's a huge difference between what that looks like when you go one and three on a West Coast trip and you're a call or two away from the Sacramento upset or the Lakers upset, and then you play the Clippers tight, even though it's the second I have a back-to-back at the end of a road trip. And, like, yeah, Pascal was around for those, and, and Jakob was, was around for some of those. I get it. But the level of fight, the level of just, like, I don't know, relevance that mm. you played with in yeah. those games versus what you've played with since the Utah game, and it's so – that Miami win is going to stand out as so bizarre compared to the rest of this stretch of play where they just, like – absolutely pummeled the heat in the middle of losing a ton of depressing games in a row. Like, yeah. like at, since those LA games that we're talking about, they lost by 30 plus to Utah. They yeah. shot four of 32 on threes against Boston. Mm-hmm. They had the Miami game. Mm-hmm. They lost a very winnable game against Chicago. Yep. They got punked by the Knicks mm-hmm. and they lost to a Grizzlies team that literally had eight players out and only had one guy in the starting lineup. That was actually a part of the plan to be in the starting lineup in Jaron Jackson Jr. Like yeah. they they were playing guys, like my guys, mm-hmm. fresh from the Memphis hustle, big oh. minutes in that game. Yeah, I mean, obviously Jaron Jackson was awesome. Started the game really strong. Um, you know, faded as the game went on, at least offensively. Defensively, he was always good. Um, six steals as, as in the first expect. quarter. Yeah, six steals in the first quarter. The Raptors were just throwing the ball away nonstop. Um, you know, it, it was tough. Also, he was, he. I, I respect the fact that he could put it on the deck. But the fact that he, like, drove and, like, got by the Raptors with no help largely and scored four times just in the first quarter from, like, you know, because typical Jaron Jackson play, he catches on the three and he up fakes. And it, sometimes he shoots it. He's a pretty, you know, decent shooter from there. But a lot of times he was just up faking and then just driving or attacking that closeout. And, like, I mean, he's I know he's 6'11". He's, he's super, like, long, I guess, and, and fairly strong. I wouldn't say he's, like, jump out the gym athletic, at least on offense. But, like... You gotta. There's enough time for, for to recover and help, and, and and you know make him swing it to somebody else. Well, and especially when he scored four driving layups in the first quarter. Like that's a terrible way to start. I'm sorry. And, yeah, and especially when like look, there are there there are rotation level players around him on that team. Probably no one else right now that sh- should be starting NBA games. So like you could really. Yeah overload on Jaron Jackson Jr. if you yeah, wanted yeah. to and not like look yeah Luke Kennard ended up putting 19 on them Vince Williams Jr. is is cool and, and mm-hmm. had a nice game but like he you're did tell- that for James Herbert yeah you're telling me uh like you're not okay with Santi Aldama and John Conchar knocking mm-hmm. down shots if you got to overload on yeah. Jaron Jackson and like I don't know man the one little pump fake and go it's just it wasn't dude it was like really simplistic moves there wasn't enough resistance against him in the first quarter and it just like it set a bad tone for the game where I don't know they're just I hate doing this kind of analysis because it feels like reductive like it feels too simple but like really at at any point in these last couple games have you felt a fight from this team like that they were you know going to come back when they were down that Mm. they were going to keep a game from getting away that there was like you know, the Knicks game, they just, like, they were outclassed. But this one, it just, like, yeah. it didn't feel like that fight was there that, like, hey, a team that is right with you in the standings is missing eight players today mm-hmm. is coming into your court and Luke Kennard yeah. is mouthing off to your fans' courtside. And it just didn't feel, like, other than Scotty turning yeah. it on in the second half, which is, like, a regular story at this point, like, I I don't know, man. Like, Thad was your, your third best player last night. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, salute to Thad Young. Really showed everyone, like, what it means to be a pro and be super committed, 
he's diving on the floor for loose balls. He's taking charges. Um, you know, he's co-lead for the Raptors in charges taken this year at four. Like, Kyle used to have, like, 20 charge seasons. Um, by the way, the Raptors as a team, 16 total charges taken, which uh, is actually middle of the pack in the league, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, in any case, um, Thad was giving great effort, uh, dunking the ball consistently as well, too. I've seen more Thad Young dunks in the last week than I have in his entire tenure as a Raptor. So credit to Thad, but, like, you, you shouldn't really always need your veterans to sort of you know, go in the way back throwback machine to give you that type of professionalism or that type of effort. Like, you just need to bring it collectively as a group. And right now, you don't see 48 minutes of effort from the Raptors. You just don't. It reminds me so much of what the Tampa season looked like. Yeah. 19 offensive rebounds for the Grizzlies last night, and the Raptors had 17 turnovers. David like, Roddy you had, like, six offensive rebounds on yeah. the same play. Yeah. The Raptors... Like, come on, guys. Yeah. It's uh, uh, also a tough one. 11 additional shooting possessions for the Grizzlies. Yeah, and it wasn't like, like the Grizzlies were shooting lights out necessarily. Like, yeah, Luke Kennard got hot for a stretch there in the third quarter. Yeah, but he finished 5 of 13 on threes. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, still better than the Raptors, 8 for 23. I just feel like the Raptors didn't get enough paint touches. And then also, I mean, just in general, you just cannot win in the NBA nowadays if you only take 23 attempts. Like, that to me suggests like a structural problem that took place with the Raptors offense yesterday where they could only get up 23 attempts. So I know you want to do uh, a deeper dive on, on the BBQ guys uh, yeah. after. So I'll save this question, but I do want to just mention that we'll get back to it. Of uh, Emmanuel quickly took six threes last night. Darko said before the game they need him getting up eight or nine. He still didn't look super, super aggressive. So we'll come back to that mm-hmm. when we do the, the BBQ thing. I guess the question for you is like in, in terms of the worst losses that this team has had this season against that shorthanded a Grizzlies team on your home court – coming off of a couple bad losses. Like, where does that rank for you? Obviously, Detroit is number one, but the Portland loss was pretty bad. The early season Chicago, both Chicago losses are are pretty bad. No, but that early season Chicago loss was hilarious. I think Dennis came on afterwards, and he's like, that's one of the worst losses I've ever been associated with in my career. And I'm like, damn, you played 10 years now. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. Where does that rank for you? Is that like two after Detroit? Do we need more time to let it settle in? Because that was one where like, there's not really, like, yeah, Jakob Pertl was out, but there's no extenuating mm-hmm. circumstances to lose to the zombie Grizzlies on your own court. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing, and I think Grange pointed this out in, in my DMs, or the responses, uh-huh. uh, after I tweeted on Twitter, I was just like, at least Detroit really did play out of their minds in that game. Like, there was multiple, like, banked-in shots. Um, you know, Kevin Knox had his best game of the season, it has to be. Like, he was hitting buzzer beaters and stuff like that. Cade was was playing at high capacity. You like, had just made the trade. You had just made the trade. Second half of back-to-back, you got in at 3 a.m., blah, blah, blah. Like, what a fun day that that was. Like, it was so oh, yeah. weird. Like, even though they lost, like, I actually think them losing that game made the whole day, like, even more fun in my memory now. Sure. Uh, yeah. Even though it was torture, but. Right. Uh, um, At least the Pistons played, like, a really good game, and they beat the Raptors by one possession. Like, Raptors never led last night at all. Never, never had that urgency. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand that, like, you can accept that sometimes you don't have it in a season that that's going to happen, but like you've had to accept that so many times in the Raptors this season. The fact that we can even have a discussion of like how many bad, unfortunate losses the Raptors have had this whole year is just, it's kind of depressing to say, man, what about the Charlotte loss that they had yeah. on the road? Um, um, so, yeah. okay. So question for you before we get to Michael Scotto and, and talk some NBA wide rumors and stuff, talk about the Kyle Lowry trade. The other thing that I wanted to get to from last night and get your take on with three and a half minutes left in the game. The Raptors have cut the lead to 12. And I know mm, that sounds like okay. damning with faint praise, but they I had, mean, they, it was against a Memphis team that's that lacking offensively. Sure, yeah. 12 points in three and a half minutes is doable. Darko won with Grady Dick. Yeah. He hadn't played in the fourth quarter at that point. Uh, he comes in for Gary Trent Jr. 
at that point in the game, Darko kind of said afterwards, like, hey, we got to get him those developmental reps. We want to see him with those closers. Um, what did you think of that decision, given where we were at that point in the game? And that it's not as if Grady had started and played big minutes in that game. He'd only played 11 minutes in the game to that point. Yeah, um, I'm happy you pointed that out because it was quite strange to see him in that context. I think part of it was because they probably needed someone else to like stretch the floor and Gary had been, even though he made two threes, probably worse than Grady was, or at least he wasn't really making much impact. So you try out Grady. The issue is then you have a situation where you have a clear defensive liability who's a rookie on the court at the end of a game and you saw you know Vince Williams Jr. look at him dead in the eye and he's like, all right, I'm kind of just going to hit you with a very simple crossover and I'm going to drive all the way in for a dunk. And there's no help behind because that was the type of game the Raptors were playing. But, I mean, clearly this is a team that is in need of not just a shakeup because they've had two already, but probably more shakeups to come. And so uh, let's bring in Michael Scotto of Hoops Hype. Um, Michael, I, don't, I, I hope you did not have the displeasure of having to watch Raptors Grizzlies last night. I, I did not. <laughs> Mostly this time of year, it's just on a lot of phone calls late at night, you know, on the East Coast, you know, as late as, you know, past midnight. So I've been pretty busy with the trade deadline coming up and Toronto's still going to be active. So it should be exciting coming up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, we'll talk about some of the Toronto stuff, but there was news this morning. So let's get your take on that. Kyle Lowry is headed to the Charlotte Hornets for oh, now. Speaking Miami, of bad. Miami trading uh, Kyle Lowry and a 2027 lottery protected first to Charlotte for Terry Rogier. Um, this one you you sense coming is the timing of the, I guess my biggest question about all of these moves for you is, is things happening so much earlier than the trade deadline is fairly new for us. Um, what do you make of that? And what did, what did you make of this uh, Lowry Rogier swap? I mean, cue the Dwayne Wade, I love it meme. Because <laughs> for me, I, I love it because for a couple of reasons. One, for the teams that are acquiring the players, it gives them more time to assimilate the player and get them acclimated to what they're doing. Uh, you know, people think the trade deadline is around, you know, the halfway point. It's not. You're only at that point looking at maybe 20-plus games or so, depending on the, the team schedule, 25. So to me, I think that uh, – it's good for the teams. And as far as Lowry going to uh, Charlotte, I mean, I would say late last night th there was some word about it going around from a couple people I talked to. And then sure enough, this morning, boom. Uh, it shows you how quickly something can kind of materialize. But I think overall for Lowry, you know, with Charlotte, him going there, a lot of people are certainly looking to see if they can flip him again. And, and get something for them. They're obviously looking for future draft picks and core pieces uh, that they can have with Brandon Miller, with LaMelo Ball and Mark Williams. Uh, you know, if they could take on a contract and get future picks, I think it is something that they're open to for sure. So I, I don't think they're done yet. I know a lot of teams are looking at Lowry uh, as a potential buyout candidate, Gordon Hayward as well. But we'll see. I mean, you know, we've seen with veterans when they do hit the market, their value depreciates when they go for a buyout. So, you know, as a player, you got to be willing to accept that, that at best you're going for, you know, probably a minimum. And then if you're lucky, by the time you hit free agency again in the summer, maybe you can get towards a mid-level exception, but uh, it depends on the player. Yeah, I think for Kyle's case too, I mean, very competitive guy. We clearly know him a lot in the Toronto market. But he does have a ring, you know, and 
um, maybe the desperation isn't as much to chase. But at the same time, I think there's going to be some, you know, wrinkles in the cap that you actually can't uh, just have him, for example, go to the Clippers. Yeah, so right. for, for anyone who isn't aware or forgets or whatever, the new collective bargaining agreement uh, will not allow teams that are above the apron to sign buyout candidates who m- earned more than the mid-level. So mm-hmm. Kyle can't go to some of those teams. Um, you know, Philly is probably the highest-end team that he could go to because they're a little bit below yeah. that that apron level. Um, still some interesting landing spots are in Philly, New York, places like that. But, yeah, the Clippers are, are off the table for any of those guys. Mm. Um, you know, it's why the Daniel Tice thing was so interesting when the Pacers just – agreed to let him go for no reason really because Tice is like just below the salary point that the Clippers could still sign him. Um, Michael, when you look at, at what the heat, the heat side of this, um, look, the heat are always interested, right? Their name comes up every time a, a star or, or a second tier guy becomes available. Um, that 2027 first round pick that they have is one of the only assets they really had, unless a team really likes Tyler hero and, and the heat are willing to move off him. Are you surprised that, it's Terry Rozier that they were willing to do this for. And I know you made the point of why earlier is better, but I kind of would have thought with Kyle and that pick and some of the other, you know, lower tier prospects they had, maybe they could have aimed a little higher than this. Well, I mean, the problem is like Cleveland's been telling every team that's called it Donovan Mitchell isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So obviously that was a guy Miami was looking at, but if you can't get the guy and you're trying to win this year, you got to figure it out. And then next year, Rozier can become, a trade asset for you if you want to move him and try to get a bigger fish uh given his contract situation it's it's more appealing as he's getting towards the end of his deal and for miami they think that he's a guy that can play well for them in the playoffs and fit their culture he's a hard worker Uh, this is a guy that in charlotte hasn't had a chance to play a lot of meaningful games and now he's going to get that opportunity they feel like it's going to rejuvenate him a little bit Um, He's been playing great so far this year, if you look at his individual statistics. But I think from Miami's perspective, I don't know if they always agreed with the outside noise that they needed a quote-unquote star. Um, You know, they feel pretty good about Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And now Terry Rozier is a guy that they're hoping can fit as a high-caliber starting player on that team that essentially fills a role player. He's not being asked to come there and and be – you know, an all-star. He's being asked to come there, fit a role, and help them win and make timely shots. But the ball's going through Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Terry Rozier is your third guy as a scorer, you know, with Tyler Hero some nights. They can alternate between the third and the fourth guy. You got Jaime Jaquez. They've got a nice starting five, and they've always been able to find depth, uh, you know, finding guys off the scrap heap, guys in the G League. So, I mean, for them... They feel like this is going to help put them closer towards the top of the East. And time will tell if that comes to fruition. But in terms of being surprised, I think they scoured the market. They scanned the market, excuse me. And they came to the realization that, all right, well, Donovan Mitchell's not likely to become available before the trade deadline. We got to try to do something to win this season while maintaining some flexibility going forward. And Terry fits that mold. Yeah. And, you know, I like the fit for them because I feel like for Miami, um, they have a lot of guys who move and play well without the ball, uh, guys mm-hmm. who can space and cut and everything like that. But, you know, aside from Jimmy, on-ball threat-wise, like, you know, now you add Terry to that mix, you, you make them a little bit more dangerous. Um, okay, closer to home here in Toronto, um, the Raptors are not done, right? They've already moved OG. They moved Pascal. The Pascal trade, I don't even consider that completely done because Bruce Brown <laughs> is 
you know, there's going to be a market for Bruce Brown. I think that's he, he's made that clear. I think the, the rest of the trade rumors have made that clear. What is that particular market for Bruce Brown at the moment? Well, what's interesting was the Miami Heat were one of the teams I heard in the mix for him. Now, I, I don't know how much that changes now following the Terry Rozier trade because, as Blake mentioned, they lost one of the assets they would have had to dangle for him in that first round pick down the line. So the other teams that I've heard, certainly the New York Knicks uh, with Tom Thibodeau, uh, that's very much a match made in heaven. However, at some point, I got to wonder, like, how many six foot four guards can you have on a team? That's mm. just me. One more, right. in my opinion, if you're going to give up a first round pick to, to the Raptors, I'd say one more you can fit in. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got, obviously, the Los Angeles Lakers, who they're equally, you know, I think you guys mentioned about how Miami's connected to every player. I'm pretty sure every trade deadline and free agency, the Lakers somehow get connected to every player mm. uh, in creation. So no surprise there, but they obviously wanted Bruce heavily in free agency with uh, the money that they had available at the time. And then another team that I've heard come up, the Dallas Mavericks, they also wanted mm. to get Bruce uh, for the mid-level. They've been looking to upgrade at the four and the three. They love Derek Lively. As I report on Hoopsite, they've been turning down trade calls for him, even though a lot of teams around the league certainly value him. And obviously in the backcourt, you got Kyrie and Luka. So, you know, they've got some room around the edges to improve. A guy like Bruce would be a good fit there. But those are some of the teams that I've heard particularly interested in trying to acquire uh, Bruce Brown. And, and it's interesting because when you look at the Raptors and you look at Bruce's age, I mean – if Masai doesn't get what he wants, can you tell me that he could be on that team next year? Maybe. His age fits the the timeline. It's not, like, out of the question. Contract's um, flexible. Yeah, and, and you could, you know, punt that decision down the line for next year. And obviously they've got quickly RJ. You'd have Bruce. Uh, you know, Gary Trent Jr., not, I would say, someone that is considered a core member of Toronto. And I, we touched on this the last time I, mm -hmm. I appeared on your show about how those contract extension talks never came to fruition. And, you know, he's had an up-and-down season. So, to me, I don't think it's out of the question that they keep Bruce if they don't find what they like. They've got the cap flexibility if they want to pick up the option. And then he's an expiring contract. Makes him even arguably more valuable in some, set, uh, some sentiments. So... We'll see. The last thing I would say when I look at the Raptors, this is just me looking at the situation. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if we're going to hear more Jakob Pertle uh, chatter coming up. Uh, I know he just re-signed with the team, but given the age, do they feel like he's going to fit their core down the line or is it better to get something now? Clearly, mm -hmm. they're building around Scotty Barnes, Emmanuel Quickly, RJ, Barrett. So I, I'm just going to keep an eye on that one. That's just me. That'll be interesting. Because... It's been ugly without a center. I, I uh, asset wise, it's like I didn't agree with the trade at the time. The contract is is full market value. He is twenty eight, but I don't know. We got to watch these games the next thirty games too. Yeah, for our sake, it'll be <laughs> tough. But I mean, the Raptors, yeah, as you mentioned, they're one and seven without Jakob uh, in the stretch here with him missing with an ankle injury. He is due to be back too, so you know, potential yeah, potentially trade. as soon as Friday. Yeah, yeah. Well, my favorite favorite uh, fake Yak trade is we, we return him to the Spurs for store credit. You love this one, eh? So you don't get your whole first-round pick back, but maybe you change some of the protections so the Raptors can actually freely tank this year if they choose to do so. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm not totally sure if what the market for If they choose to do so, even like. if they choose not to, if they don't choose to do so, they lost to the zombie Grizzlies last night. There might be no choose to it, Will. Yeah, fair enough. Um, um, sorry, uh, Michael, a uh, lo little lower on the chain. Are you hearing anything about 
any of the the fringier raps veterans that the boucher schroeder types or is it a little early in this process for like like is it more of a hey the the bruce brown types are going to go terry rogier types are going to go first and then we'll circle back to the mid-level size guys oh listen it's like uh you know i would say an italian sunday dinner everything's on the table <laughs> uh seven fish at, let's go <laughs> exactly like as far as chris boucher goes i mean certainly if you can put him with Gary Trent in a trade, that you can get a lot of higher salary guys there. Uh, I, I don't think his standalone value is just enough to do a trade. Um, but if you package him with a guy like Gary Trent, who's on an expiring contract, I do think that that uh, is something that Toronto is going to look at. Mm. And then I'm looking more at the expiring contracts. You got guys like Otto Porter, Dad Young, back end guys that are going to fill a deal. Could I see Dennis Schroeder going somewhere? Eh, possibly. Um, I, all these guys are essentially, like, I would say half the Raptors right now, you can tell me, are going to be in trade talks in the next couple of weeks at a high level. And I nod my head in agreement, mm. uh, just given the way that the roster reconstruction has gone to this point. Okay. I, I, got, I got two more questions about just former Raptors now at this point. But um, first, for Pascal Siakam, um, you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, rival teams have maybe asked about like a Derek Lively, but the, the Mavs clearly value him and he's a huge position of need for them. Mm-hmm. Were there any talks between the Raptors and Dallas? You know, for Pascal, for example? Oh, yeah. I mean, they talk, but I just like as far as assets go, I didn't think that – I never thought that that was going to be the ultimate landing spot because they – while they were having those talks, they were also keeping tabs a little bit on Jeremy Grant, as I had touched mm. on, and then Kyle Kuzma's another name. So okay. if you've got that many backup options right. in mind, somewhere along the line, you've got to be saying to yourself, realistically, this probably isn't going to come to fruition. Got you. And then the other one, just about OG. Um, clearly, he's done well in New York. Knicks are like 9-2 and two with OG. Yeah. Best defense in the league. Best plus minus in the plus league. Plus minus of infinity. Yeah. Um, it's basically a virtual guarantee that OG's resigning in New York, right? But like, you know, in terms of like the number where it might come in at ultimately, do you have any idea on that? I mean, a lot of people, a lot of rival executives certainly think that he's going to end up back with the Knicks for a number of reasons. I mean, certainly he's Tom Thibodeau's type of guy. Uh, some kind of comparisons I feel like he's drawn a little bit is when Lou Deng was in his prime and an all-star guy uh, kind of fits that mold, high minutes, can play both sides of the ball. As far as the number with the Knicks, I mean, it's going to be over $30 million. The question is where. Because you got to also factor in, now, when I say $30 million, do I mean exactly $30 million? No. You know, I'm sure the aggregators will want some specifics. Uh, it's somewhere over 30 Time will tell. But they also have to figure out Jalen Brunson down the line as far as potentially looking at him for an extension. And he's going to certainly get a significant pay raise, and it's well-deserved. So they're going to factor all that in. But, yeah, definitely he's a guy that a lot of people around the league, from most executives I've spoken to, believe that he will ultimately re-sign with New York. And it's certainly worth noting that uh, at CAA, he's got a couple of agents, and one of them happens to be Sam Rose. Now, if that name rings a bell, it's because that's Leon Rose's son. Mm. So, you know, you can read between the lines on that one, but uh, certainly 
the phrase keep it in the family certainly uh, comes to mind when I think of OG Ananobi and, and the Knicks and, yeah. and eventually getting a deal done. And he's going to earn a big pay raise for he sure. He deserves it. They're, they're acting awful New Jersey and New York these days when it comes <laughs> to uh, the family. Uh, Michael, before we let you go, you're also uh, in Brooklyn a bunch. Uh, what do you make of where the Nets are right now? What, what direction? The Nets are kind of... Dude, I mean, they're only two games. They're only two games up on the Raptors. That it, it's not any sexier uh, watching them, even though there are some some nice pieces there. Obviously, uh, are they on a precipice of maybe becoming sellers as well? Or are they still trying to ride this thing out? My thing is, they got to pick a direction mm. at at a certain point because you've given up all these picks to get James Harden. So, you know, Houston pretty much runs the show with their drafts, whether it's swaps or outright picks. So. They're not good enough right now. They know that. Um, the difference now is when Sean Marks came there years ago and they already were owing picks to Boston from the KG-Paul Pierce trade, it didn't matter to Sean because it was a clean slate for him. Now, I'm curious how the optics of him trading for James Harden are going to affect things because, to me, they have certainly a bunch of guys that they can sell off if they choose. Spencer Dinwiddie's a guy, Dorian Finney-Smith is a guy, and Royce O'Neal. Now, I've touched on this on Hoopsite, but I'll share it for your listeners as well in case they may not have seen previous articles on Hoopsite. Um, you know, for Dorian Finney-Smith, ideally they'd like the equivalent of two first-round picks. Now, does that mean just two straight first-round picks? No, that doesn't mean that. It could be a first-round pick. It could be a rotation player. It could be a young player. But essentially the equivalent of two first-round picks. Royce O'Neal... In an ideal world, they'd like to get a, a first-round pick later in you know, the first round, somewhere in the 20s. Does that mean it's going to happen, could be protected? If not, can they get a boatload of second-round picks? I'm, I'm pretty sure they could. But he is a fan favorite of some Nets fans. And also just with Jack Vaughn. Jack Vaughn loves Royce O'Neal. Mm. So something to keep in mind there. And also he's a good friend of Donovan Mitchell. So if they're going to make a run mm. for Donovan Mitchell and he's with the team past the deadline, I would just keep that one under your hat for down the line. Wow. Um, regarding Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, he's had a kind of up and down role a little bit this year, even though he's been the starting point guard. And there are some contending teams that could look at him in the final year of his contract as a as a rental that could be worthwhile. Um, I think now as the Terry Rozier trade went down, you're going to see more calls on that front. Um, also with Toronto, I, I know because you guys had tried to trade for Nick Claxton previously, mm. people ask me about him and, and his future. But by all accounts, the Nets are making it seem like they're going to pay him in, in the offseason. And then you can kind of go from there if you're going to keep them not long term. Maybe you flip them down the line. But they don't want to lose an asset like Nick Claxton for nothing. He is unrestricted, but they've got the ability to to pay him as much as they want. So um, that's kind of the landscape as far as, as Brooklyn goes. Um, they don't have an incentive to tank given the fact of all the draft pick compensation. But um, – I don't know if there's a move, and, and this includes DeJounte Murray that's been kind of floated out there. I don't know if DeJounte Murray is going to take them to a higher level either. He's been playing yeah, exactly. great, and they have, you know, Dinwiddie's contract would fit what I've reported that Atlanta doesn't want to ideally take back salaries, but are they willing to give up two first-round picks? Um, I'd previously reported they've shied away from that in Brooklyn, um, 
So, I mean, time will tell. We still got, you know, about, I don't know, two weeks plus a little bit before the trade deadline. But at least as of right now, still surveying the market. And potentially, if they did want to go that route and you get a pick or maybe two for Dorian Finney-Smith, do you then maybe change your stance and say, well, now we have extra capital in the draft and maybe then it makes more sense to go for DeJounte. Maybe we can use other picks. There's a lot of dominoes that are still yet to fall in Brooklyn. Um, you know, certainly with the Knicks Raptors, that whole division is, oh, is yeah. pretty interesting. Not everybody's like Boston where they're at the top of the heap. So. Or scoring 70 points like they are in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia's know? not done either. I know that much. They've got the picks as well from the James Harden trade to get something done. They've got right. cap flexibility in the future to take on a guy. You guys touched on Kyle Lowry a little bit earlier. I think with Kyle, certainly he'd be a good fit there as a backup point guard, Villanova guy. Mm. It, it makes logistical sense. Um, but there's going to be, if he if he hits the buyout market, there is going to be uh, a bevy of suitors for him. I think that, you know, when you've got a guy that's a proven playoff guy and Want a ring? It, it all matters. As long as he's willing to come in and get, you know, rotation minutes, it, it'd be worthwhile for sure. But yeah. uh, been a crazy time in Raptorland when you look at how that team, won, you know, that won the ch- the chip. Now it, you know, it's like Chris Boucher is there, and you look around and you feel like Will Smith and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air when they move mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I know. You're telling us, man. Um, <laughs> we're now we're now, we're now talking about Kyle Lowry as a buyout guy. Well, the, the, the times have really moved on. Michael, I appreciate you. I'm sure you're really busy, so I appreciate you taking the time. Everyone go find his work over at Hoops Hype, uh, host of the Hoops Hype podcast as well. Lots of great details, as you can tell. So uh, appreciate you, and we'll call you soon. You got it, fellas. Anytime. Okay. Yeah, lots of digest there, but uh, let's let's take a quick break. By the way, we, ha- we have a minute here. Dennis oh, is yeah. getting bumped to 3 o'clock, so oh, we, we don't need to oh, rush out. I, oh, I, I would you. like to get your live reaction to something, oh, okay. actually. What's going on? Go look at the Raptors 905 Twitter account. They just released the jersey that they'll wear next Wednesday on January 31st uh, for Lunar New Year. It's the Year of the Dragon jersey. I want your quick take on it. Oh, yeah, this is nice. Oh, yeah, this is nice. That's real good, right? This is really nice. Why don't we have creativity with the Raptors jerseys? I don't know. They also, they put yeah, out tweets. This is uh, really good, though. I like this. They put out tweets explaining what exactly has gone into the jerseys, and there are, yeah. like, uh, nods to like the early Vince Carter era jerseys and things like that, in addition to a number of things in there for Lunar New Year. So uh, you can check out the details at Raptors905 on uh, Twitter. This is where we uh, miss Alex even more because I, I oh, bet man. he would be able to get a couple of those for us. I, I don't I don't know if I have those pulls even down in 905 <laughs> land. But, uh, oh, if you don't have pulls in 905 land, who does? All I right? did who manage to get Alex that Degrassi, that Degrassi yeah. 905 shirt uh, for his last oh, day. But uh, That was an elite gift. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's a really nice jersey. Raptors 905, you can check that oh, out. They're yeah. wearing it next Wednesday. Uh, they also have an 11 a.m. game tomorrow, which uh, I did the math on. I can't yeah. make it there and then safely make it back to the show. So we could call you from uh, be, I'll be watching here. Um, uh, all right, now we could take that break. I just wanted your reaction to that jersey because it's, it's a it, great jersey. Yeah, you know, quick, quick look for me. That looks awesome. I, I wonder who is uh, Asian and also does Raptors media that could help promote this. Um, call my line. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. Shameless on my part, but you're trying to get you, in the you you're trying to get in the the Filipino Heritage Night uh, basketball run later this week. You're What's trying up, to man? get free Lunar New Year jerseys. What's up? I'll bring I'll bring my little the versatility bro, here. For that one. The versatility here is unbelievable. Okay, all right, we're gonna take this break. I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. 
fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Got Blake Murphy with me. And we are going to do probably something we're going to do quite often this season for the rest of the year is uh, the BBQ report. Do we have a better name than a BBQ report? Like do like a BBQ order, BBQ delivery. Oh, the Bucks have dismissed Adrian Griffin. Wow. wow. Adrian Wojnarowski <laughs> Yo, of ESPN. That was my bold prediction of the year. Sorry, Griff. I'm so sorry that you got dismissed, but damn. Yeah, uh, the Milwaukee wow. Bucks, who, by the way, oh, that's not are thirty and thirteen. Okay, coming off of a couple wins in a row here. Damn, but they do have uh, the worst defense of any playoff team right now. Still at this point in the season. Yo, I mean, you could see this one coming only in the sense that there's been so many reports. Remember, there was like the uh, who was it, Bobby? Uh, Bobby Portis mm-hmm. was five like like ten games in the year or something like that. Five games in the he year. He was upset with them. They had a they argued, but it was like immediately reported. Yep. Like everyone was still in the building, and it, that that Chris Haynes already had a full report on the whole thing. Yeah, I wonder if Dame or Giannis well, made the phone call. But Eric Name um, came on our show. Eric Name, who covers the Bucks for the Athletic, yeah, came on our show five wow. games in the season when the Bucks were here, right before the Raptors yeah. pasted them. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And there was some confusion at that point about what exactly the defensive game plan was there. Like, like <laughs> part of the reason they needed uh-huh. to move on from Mike Budenholzer was that there was an inflexibility defensively, stylistically on both ends, and that maybe didn't have them as playoff prepared as they needed to be year over year. Yeah. The question with Adrian Griffin immediately became like, well, okay, but like, mm-hmm. it's still got to be good. You can't yeah. just do other things that are bad. And like, he had Brooke Lopez trapping. Mm. He had like the number one drop back center defensively, like a defensive player of the year candidate in drop back coverage, suddenly coming out and trapping and hedging and stuff like that in ways that they weren't used to and didn't suit the personnel. And look, he's been, he wasn't dealt the best of hands given the defensive personnel on that trade. He was the the best of hands, man. He got Dame, he got Giannis, he got ready to win now veterans. Yeah. I'm sorry. Defensively though, it's not, yo, he holds it. I just mean like you swap out Drew for Dame and Malik Beasley's your stopper. Uh, it's yeah, it's well, not great defensively, but you've made no progress yeah. over the course of the year. And you still have Giannis and Brooke Lopez. And like, it's not like Beasley's a bad defender. It's pretty inexcusable for a team with title hopes to be the worst defense yeah. among playoff teams. And sorry, I should correct myself. The Pacers are technically in a playoff spot right now. I was oh, only yeah. looking at teams right. outside the play-in. But okay, the second worst mm-hmm, <laughs> defense mm-hmm. of any team in a in a playoff spot right now. So um, that's pretty tough. But I think this is, I think as details come out about this, what we're going to find out is more than the defense on the court. Yeah. This is going to be like, he doesn't have the room. So who's going to even be available to come in and replace? Because they went through the coaching so search. Terry Stotts going to come back? Terry Stotts coming back would be hilarious. So for anyone uh, who doesn't remember, Terry Stotts was originally like the lead offensive assistant. Adrian Griffin as a first-time coach. They wanted some experienced coaches around him. Um, Terry Stotts walked away because of friction between them and how Stotts was dealing with the superstars versus working in the team dynamic. It ended up Trevor Gleason, who was a Raptors assistant, ultimately ended up replacing Terry Stotts on that staff. Um, so I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what you do here. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you the problematic question? It's not entirely fair, but oh, uh, Joe Prunty is going to be the interim coach. Oh, of course. Joe Prunty has been the interim coach for Milwaukee 
a few times, I feel like now. Like, this is not the first time we've seen him in an interim uh, Yeah, setting. he was the interim coach for the Atlanta Hawks before they went the Quinn Snyder route. Yeah. Um, and he then, was the interim coach for the Bucks between Jason Kidd and Mike Budenholzer. Yeah. And is now the interim coach between Adrian Griffin He's and whoever's next. He's just a permanent next. interim coach. He's like the, the quad A type of player, yeah. but for coaches. He's also got three rings as an assistant, but hasn't got an actual shot as a head coach, oh, yeah. even though he's been he, in the league since 1996 man, and as an assistant. He's the Phil Jackson of interim coaches? Yeah, I guess uh, so. <laughs> no, okay, well, uh, we'll see like what Ooh. the ultimate decision is made there. What's Sorry to react to my phone with faces, but this is the time of year. Chris Haynes is reporting that the Bucks will strongly consider Doc Rivers. Ooh. What wow. was your problematic throw out going to be? Uh, what's going on with the Nick Nurse coaching tree, man? Second what? time in a row now. Chris Finch looking all right, though. Chris Finch was with Nick for like a couple months. Yeah. I don't even count that. They one. were rivals for a lot longer they were, than they, they were, were rivals. together. He, he needed a job. Toronto was there. And then midway through the season, got hired for Minnesota. Yeah. And he's done a good job coaching that team. Uh, but the Nate two... Bjorkman didn't last the season in Indiana. And Adrian yeah. Griffin didn't last the season in Milwaukee. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it could just be a coincidence. And but, look, Adrian Griffin know. is not like Nate Bjorkman was Nick Nurse's guy, right? Like those two, oh, yeah, like yeah. they were in the basement. They were in the lab in the G Dude, League. They were in the basement yeah. together in Iowa in 2010, putting up like rap, like uh, whatever plays into an Excel. Like, like you know, you know, in Eight Mile when Eminem's riding the bus, yeah, yeah and yeah. he's like scribbling down his ciphers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing what G League coaches made around 2010, that's probably how Nick Nurse and Nate Bjorkman were designing their plays. They're just like riding the bus oh, to practices yeah, and taking, games. They take public transit. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. But this is like Adrian Griffin has been a longtime assistant in the NBA, was a longtime NBA player, mm. and had interviewed for head coaching jobs he multiple had, he times. Had. Yeah. This is unfortunate. I'm sorry I celebrated. Just it's only because of this is exactly what I called. No, you were you were right. But like the warning signs were there. Like again, Eric came on our show five games into the year, and we were all together, like, what the heck is the defense? And then I remember that one, like we were at that Mm. game and and you I think you were around as I was talking to someone from the Bucks about some of that. Um, and it was like very unclear what the defensive plan was. And and there were multiple times throughout the course of the season already, over fifty games, where there were leaks. There mm. was drama in the locker room. There were quotes that made it seem like everyone definitely wasn't on the same page. I don't think, you know, Doc Rivers, who has some of the same criticisms that Mike Budenholzer has, right? Mm. Like, yeah. like, hey, really good regular season coach, really good get buy-in from everyone coach, has a ring, but should probably have had more playoff success at this point, given the pieces that he had. There are some similar criticisms there. Um, but, yeah, this is... Uh, Damn. This is a, a wild, like they're in second in the East, man. Didn't they also have the situation where it was like they're when they were looking for coaches in offseason, they would bring the candidates to Giannis's house, yeah, to, for a vibe check essentially, yeah, and so like he could pick, yeah, like culturally, Wasn't Nick like one of the that? guys too, like they could I have had Nick. For the example. reporting was Nick, Nick pulled himself out. Oh, he did. Okay, so whether right. whether that was seeing the writing on the wall and not wanting it, not that gets a fit, or right. the yeah. Philly deal was more real. Um, and by the way, I said Milwaukee is second in the East. They're the, they have the second best record in the NBA. Oh yeah, yeah Boston yeah. is the only team with a better record than them, but and they just fire the coach. This is the thing, though. That that if they were to go into playoffs that unprepared defensively, yeah. they were not going to make it very far. They were right for another upset. Yep, and you know? that's uh, it. Might still be. By the way, it's not like Doc Rivers' teams have not been upset before. Yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, I but mean, they get upset in the second round. They can't. They can't do the first round again. Like yeah. uh, it was the first round they got bounced last year, right? No, last year it was also second round. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, not uh, not great. So this is where they're at. They're the they're twenty first in defensive efficiency mm. overall. 
And part of the criticism that I have had with them, and I think part of the criticism at large, is their changes defensively were about being more versatile and things yeah. like that. But they have not gotten any of the benefits of a more aggressive defense. They're dead last by far in how many turnovers they force. So, like, if you're going to sacrifice defensive rebounding a little bit, if you're going to sacrifice your ability to protect the paint, and with that, you're not getting any turnovers, you're not fueling the transition game at all, it's uh, it's bleak. They were the number four offense, though. Like, I guess mm-hmm. when you oh, have yeah. Dame and Giannis, that, that kind of sorts itself out, right? At a peak level, Dame is, like, you know, as good as a number two gets really in the NBA offensively. So, yeah, I mean, that was always going to work. But defensively, they need to hit another level. We'll see yeah. what Doc Rivers, I mean, they I'm, also. I'm going to miss, by the way, I'm going to miss media, Doc. I really do like when Doc is like on podcast talking to KG and Paul Pierce. <laughs> I miss when, you know, he's on like, you know, Bill Simmons' podcast or when he's calling games. Like, actually going to miss media, Doc. Yeah, but I guess we got to, Yeah, well, we'll get to make fun I'm, of him, I guess, as a head coach. But whatever. also, like, he's going to, like, Media Doc is still kind of there as the head coach of a prominent team that's always on, uh, always on national TV, right? Mm, uh, by guess. the way, w- with respect to the Bucks, things had also been getting worse defensively. They're twenty six since Christmas. Yeah, I mean, they just don't. They like scrap by teams that they really shouldn't need to scrape by. Here are the teams as because that are worse than them defensively since yeah. Christmas. Charlotte who just traded away Terry Rozier because they won a game and can't do that anymore. Yeah. Portland. Mm. Detroit. Mm. And Golden State. Oh. You thought I was going to say the Raptors? Yeah, I thought you Raptors, Raptors are two spots ahead of them. Yeah. Um, Washington and San Antonio are the other teams that round out the bottom of that group. So, like, yeah. like, of all those teams, including Toronto, Golden State is the only one of those teams that remotely considers themselves a contender. Yeah, I mean, they just, they just they never felt bought in, man. They just really never felt bought in. But um, and we'll that's see. tough, we'll man. See when who... you have a superstar in his prime, you fire a coach you want to ring with. Yeah. Then you go out and trade every asset you have left in the cupboard and a guy that was really well-loved in Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard. That sets, first of all, D- Dame's mm. like almost in his mid-30s too. Like that is a, we have to win another championship right now. Oh, yeah. And uh, for you uh, to go into the season and so quickly be unsure of the coaching, like this is a huge knock, I think, on their front office and their organization to have not nailed this coaching hire. Mm-hmm. It was way too high leverage to be turning around 53 games in with the second best record being like, no, this isn't it. We got to make a change. It's a huge failure. I, I, the only thing I would say is I do feel like when they traded for Dame just before the season started and how much of a surprise factor it was, because everyone in the summertime thought Dame was going to Miami. Mm-hmm. And only later on in the process was like, maybe Toronto's involved, maybe Milwaukee's involved. And then boom, Milwaukee actually gets it done. Um, I think it definitely changed a lot of what he might have wanted to do defensively with that group. But, like, I mean, you got to be able to adjust, you know? And, also, and, as a coach, you're getting told, you're like, getting hey, like, you're going to have to redo some things defensively. Don't worry. The offense is solved. Yeah, exactly. You and, will never have to worry about this team scoring buckets, especially in crunch time. Yeah, and I think it's really difficult for rookie head coaches to come in and just get that buy-in. I think that's one of the things, the more I think back on it, I'm like, when the Raptors made a decision in 2018 and they hired Nick, by the way, similar situation. They hired Nick, and they didn't know that they were going to get Kawhi. That only happened like two, three weeks Just later ask on. Just Dwayne Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Casey at that Coach of the Year award being like, thanks for nothing, guys. I have no team. I'm, I'm, I'm employable if you would like to hire the Coach of the Year. But, um, like, when Nick took over, he had a changing situation, but he was able to get everyone to buy in. Like, that was not an easy season to manage, man. Kyle was upset, wasn't talking to people, especially was super furious with management, 
because of the DeMar DeRozan trade. Um, you know, obviously a lot of the other guys are really attached to DeMar. Who is going to start, you know, in the starting five? It was a question for a while. Luckily, Pascal broke on and became most improved and, 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 and had a great year. And that solved itself. But coming into the season, that was a big question. Was Kawhi even going to show up? That was a huge question. Was Kawhi going to integrate with the group? You know, who was going to start a shooting guard, for example? I guess Danny kind of walked into that one, made things easy. He's a great pro. But, like, still, ultimately, there's a lot of things to manage. And he was also having to replace a coach who literally just won coach of the year. And whatever, things had run, run its course. But in hindsight, it was actually, it was so impressive what Nick did, walking into the room and getting it to not just play cohesively, but play distinctly with his style, with the, the, the unique defense and stuff like this that. This is Nicky Nurse, baby. It was Nicky Nurse, baby. And honestly, like, essentially, they kind of needed a repeat of that situation here in Milwaukee, and they just did not get it here. And they did not. It's, uh, yeah. man, so, okay, so for anyone who's just tuned in and missed the news, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are have the second-best record in all of basketball and a top-five offense, fired Adrian Griffin. Yeah. Uh, Doc Rivers at the uh, the top of the list. Uh, that Woj is saying will include other top names and well-established names, which uh, it's funny to me now that they're just going to like watch the Thursday night broadcasts and be like, who do we like the best? Mark Jackson? One of the Vans Gundy? <laughs> Dog Rivers? I don't know. JJ Redick, you want to you try the coaching thing again? Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. They're just, uh, they're coming at the media industry, you know? Yeah. Joe Prunty, man. This is... Uh... Joe Prunty, buddy. Enjoy your one game coaching this team as an interim. You know, you deserve it, man. I hope you stick around, too, with the next uh, staff. Because you're not even going to be able to restaff your team. You're going to have to just roll with the assistant staff. Nah, but whatever. this is it, man. You, you Maybe you bring one piece in or something yeah. like that. You're consigliere, but that's about it. I hope Doc likes to golf uh, in Milwaukee. But anyway, we're going to What time take... of year do you think it is? Well, I mean, I'm just being sarcastic, okay. you know. Uh, I've never even played golf in my life. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Every day, the Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, William Lou. Got Blake Murphy here, too, co host. Of the Raptor show. Exactly where he should be. Uh, what was I going to say? You know what? Upon reflection, it's a little rude. Should not have put my arms up. You know, I, I respect Griff. The guy's worked hard to, you know, to get to an assistant spot. He's grinded as an assistant for like 10 years. You know, was part of the Raptors core. So I do feel bad for him. I just uh, somehow feel better about my predictions overall. Yeah, I mean, you were right about it. It's also yeah. an entertainment product. And that's no, fine. Know, it's also like there's I'm just a nice human being, man. I don't want. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I, I just didn't think your reaction was yeah. anything other than like, you know, hashtag this league kind mm. of that. That's all. It was hashtag um, this league type of moment. For as sure. uh, as someone pointed out on Twitter, uh, fireable offense to only beat the Pistons by single digits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. They, they, just they won a couple. Teams. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. Oh, someone also, uh, Rich Hoffman, who covers the 76ers, pointing out that the funniest part, so we were talking off air about like, okay, so Philly made it to the second round every year under Doc and had to make a change. Milwaukee knocked out in the first round last year. 
oh, Doc if, facing yeah. the Sixers in the second round Ooh. this year in a like like the immovable <laughs> object against the irresistible force, but it's like neither of these two can get yes. past the second round. Someone has to win. Yeah. And the Miami Heat sweep sweep in and somehow win a series they're not even involved in. It should be like game seven and they take the Kawhi Leonard shot essentially. And, and it's, it just a, it's a wedgie. Yeah. <laughs> Is this uh, the dagger? No, it's a wedgie with no time on the clock. What do you even do in that situation? You just go to overtime, I guess. Yeah, I Probably. mean, yeah, yeah, wedgie's a jump ball, so your time would be out. But it would yeah. be more like existentially, I think the NBA oh, would just yeah. have to wave it. Like Adam Silver's going to run out and be like, I'm enjoying all the banter, but uh, <laughs> this series cannot continue. Whoever won the other series is just uh-huh. going to the finals. What, would you have? Would you take Milwaukee right now to come out the East? Because I no. think preseason-wise, uh, maybe all three of us had picked... Milwaukee to win? I certainly did. It was partially because I dislike Boston. I'm not going to give them that credit. Uh, but I also did believe in the Milwaukee like core, and there's obviously lots of reason to believe in it. You got Damon Giannis with a good supporting cast. Also, like, coming but, off of a really good... Like, the issue with Budenholzer was never that they were bad defensively. And yes, Drew Holiday to Dame is a big downgrade defensively, mm-hmm. but theoretically, they should have still been at least a decent defense, and all the offensive issues were fixed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but would you have uh, picked Milwaukee, uh, having seen half a year of no. basketball now? No, I changed pretty quickly, pretty early on okay. to, to Boston. I think when we did like our quarter way check-in and, and yeah. Alex offered us the mulligans on our over-unders, yeah. I didn't take any there, but Milwaukee to come out of the East was one I was like, yeah. unfortunately, it looks like Boston. Um, yeah. Although, That's I don't me. know, Joel Embiid's dropping 70 pieces. That's not any better for me, man. <laughs> it's not better for me as a Raptor fan to be like, oh, you know what? The Sixers might upset Boston. I'm what like, if Kyle landed there as a bio guy? Could you get there? Uh, like, would you want to go Would home? you put Come Philly on. a little bit ahead of... This is just for us. Because yeah, yeah. there were reports around the time that Kyle got traded to Miami that he wasn't as eager about Philly as maybe people had assumed. Yeah. And part of that was probably the contract stuff. Mm. Like, just there wasn't the money there for him that there was in Miami. But let's say theoretically it plays out. He lands on Philly. Mm. Your tolerability rankings, who you could stomach coming out of the East, would Philly go ahead of of Boston then? I cannot stress this enough. If you have a basketball team coached by Nick Nurse with Joel Embiid as the front man with Kyle Lowry, Patrick Beverly, and Patrick Beverly all in the same squad. And one of the Morris brothers. And a Morris brother on the same squad. (laughs) Yo, I'm sorry. I can't get behind that. I'm sorry, man. As much as I love Kyle, but no, I can't get behind that as a as a basketball consumer. Like, would it be a competitive team? Absolutely. Would it make them more competitive? Sure, to some degree. But wow, that would be hard to help your hard to stomach, man. They might, yeah, the referees might need to, like, I don't know. They should get paid hard. double. They should get paid double, triple for. No, for you know what they games. should do? It shouldn't be they get paid. Like Ben Taylor should be forced to referee those games. That should be his punishment for the Ben Taylor of it all. Yeah. By the way, there was that play last night um, where RJ didn't get a call going to the basket. And RJ's usually pretty reserved, I would say. Like, he he, he doesn't stop in the middle of plays to complain. Like, he'll wait for a stoppage and play mm-hmm. and then go campaign. I'm cool with that to some degree. Uh, there was a, a play in the first half, I believe, where he went to the basket, got slapped, clearly got slapped, and then didn't get the call. And he, like, like did an air punch, but it was, like, right beside the referee. Like, it wasn't quite like when Vince Carter, like, jumped over Frederick Weiss at the Olympics and then almost clocked Kevin Garnett, who came over to celebrate with them. But, you know, there was a there was a real fervor behind that punch. Yeah. So that's was... probably what's going to happen in Philadelphia if uh, Ben Taylor has to officiate their games. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that's the right punishment. You want to be the star of the game? Let's put you refereeing a team where they'll make, they'll put the ref front and center. They, they have no oh, issue yeah. with that. Um, 
yeah. So anyway, elsewhere in the NBA last night, in addition to the M beating cats of and the Adrian Griffin stuff and the Kyle Lowry trade, what a what a day. The Raptors lost to the Memphis Grizzlies, and we're gonna have Dennis on the line uh momentarily here. I guess at some point we have to circle back and talk about oh, the game. Yeah, yeah, right, I kind of yeah. just want to get Dennis's take on the, like being a player when chaotic NBA days hit like this, though. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, you, you you get used to them to, to a certain degree. I think that's that's a large part what the money is for. As we're hearing rattling in the studio, what is going on behind there, man? I have oh, no idea. We're gonna figure that out later. Dennis Schroeder, join us uh, on the line once again. Dennis, um, breaking news in the NBA right now. We just saw that uh, the Bucks have let go of Mike Boonholzer. Oh, sorry, Mike Boonholzer. Uh, sorry, that's a that's a previous head coach. I'm just looking at you. <laughs> they had let go, but uh, you know, last summer they let go of Adrian Griffin, and it seems like Doc Rivers wow. might come in. Yeah. Did what's your initial reaction to this? Oh, that's uh, I mean, it's surprising. Um, but I mean, sometimes you know, it, it don't work out. Um, the organization don't feel you know that is you know, it's the right fit. Um. I heard a lot of uh, stuff the, the the players talked about, but I mean, um, whatever you know, they decide. I hope uh, they're gonna be good. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, closer to home. Raptors lose last night to the Grizzlies. I mean, look, it's it's obviously disappointing because you know, as we you and I talked about it before the game, like you guys are still trying to win. You guys still think that there's like a really good chance here. There's a good group here. But when you see it on the court sometimes, I think last night you guys got up to a bit of a slow start. It was difficult to get going once, you know, Memphis had the lead and they had momentum. But um, what happened last night against the Grizzlies? Like, what do you what do you think was sort of the issue behind uh, the loss? Yeah, I think um, it's frustrating for sure um, to lose that game. Um, especially they had a lot of people out, but they still, you know, been able to get some uh, road wins. Um, but um, this, this is really disappointing. Um, I think we should have, you know, won that game. Uh, but we didn't really come out right, you know. Uh, it didn't have the uh, 48 minutes, you know, mentality, um, getting off of a good start and uh, making sure, you know, we get this W. And, um I mean, we for sure want to make the playoffs. Uh, that's my goal. You know, I want to make the playoffs. And, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we got to find out a way, figure out a way. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we got three days off now. And uh, get to practice until more the day after and uh, get on the same page because, you know, we got a lot of new players as well. And um, then we go from there. Dennis, I don't mean this as a, as an excuse for you guys, but you have been playing without Jakob Pertl. Um, how how much does that change what you guys are trying to do uh, on the defensive end? I, you know, I think specifically you mentioned you guys got out to a, a bad start yesterday. Jaron Jackson kind of cooking early on there. Um, how have you guys had to change things without Jakob in the lineup these last couple of weeks? I mean, Jakob is a... Uh, I keep saying it like he's one of the you know best big mans um, who can you know set screens, catch the ball, uh, finish a one to win, um, blocking shots, changing shots. I'm not saying he is uh, a Joel and B type player, but I mean as a center, just for about winning a winning organization, I think he's a great piece. And uh, of course, uh, what the Toronto Raptors want to do, uh, I think he fit right in. 
and um, that's the reason why he got that contract. And uh, of course, right now um, he's missing a lot. But I think you know, Jante, that they're still doing a great job. It's not just you know them. I think it's a just a, a team thing. We just got to be um, mindful of playing for 48 minutes. Can't have those, you know, like two, three minutes where we didn't really like score and um, don't get stops either. And they get off, a, you know, like a 10-0 or 15-2 run. Um, can't have those. And um, if we, you know, locked into that, we, we get a chance, you know, to win the game. Yeah, I mean, I think because of the trades too, the roster is a lot smaller, you know, like at the start of the season, you know, with the group, a lot of times you were the only guard on the court. You know, it was you in the starting lineup. You know, OG playing two, uh, Pascal playing three or four, Scotty playing four or three, whatever, and then Jakob. Like, that's a really tall lineup that you would typically see in the league. Now, a lot of games, like, I think in the, in the games against the Bulls, you guys went small to close. It was you, Quickly, uh, Gary, and I think Bruce Brown alongside of Scotty. Like, that's four guys that are 6'4 and under. So, when you guys are playing smaller like that, I know you got that experience from OKC. Um, what are some of the things that you guys need to do as the guards to sort of make sure that there aren't games where you guys give up like 20 offensive rebounds, for example, like last night to the Grizzlies? Yeah, we got a rebound. Um, I think that's a big emphasis uh, of what we're trying to accomplish now the next couple of games. Uh, give us a chance to win games here when we rebound. And uh, I think we had those problems a little bit when we was uh, a big lineup mm -hmm. as well. Um, beginning of the season, but we just got to, you know, do it in practice and then create a habit, you know, that we're doing it every single time when the ball goes up, find our man, box out and secure the rebound because we want to play fast uh, in transition. So that's the reason why we sometimes, you know, try to leak out right. and uh, we can't have those. And uh, we just got to secure that rebound and then um, play, uh, you know, transition offense from there. Hey, Dennis, uh, last, one last question from yesterday's game. But I noticed, um, I think the Grizzlies got called for defense for three seconds last night at one point. I think in the third quarter. And uh, you had gotten the ball and you were standing at the line. And then Scotty came over, kind of tapped you uh, on, you know, the, the chest. And then eventually Scotty took the free throw. Now, Scotty made the free throw. But I'm just curious, in terms of, like, in, in, the, in the NBA, like, what's the typical process in terms of deciding who shoots those tactical free throws when anybody on the court could shoot those? I mean, whoever got the best, you know, free throw percentage, um, I think is uh, really important. Uh, it's a it's a big free throw. You need every single point you can get. Um, so, I mean, he came to me and I mean, he he played great. And uh, he said, I want to take that free throw. I was like, yo, you sure? He said, yes, I'm stepping up. And mm. uh, I was like, okay, make it. You know, I don't have no... Um, no problem with, you know, uh, giving up the free throw. Um, but at the end of the day, like, we got that point. Um, yeah. Um, and Scotty made it, so uh, he can take the next one as well. Yeah, he was 9-for-9 uh, nine nine from the foul line last night. But to to your credit, you are leading the league, or leading the league, leading the team in, in field, uh, free throw percentage at uh, 86. 87. 86.6, yeah. yeah. I'm going to round up for Dennis. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll round it up. Yeah. We'll, we'll round it up. <laughs> you know, it's almost 90, really, when you think yeah. about it, yeah. Which Might basically well 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is me talking about grade 12 teachers, yeah. man, when I'm trying to apply for university. We'll go as high as Jose Calderon's record. We're not going higher than that, but we'll round it up to uh, to that one. Yeah, um, he was at 98, I'm a, I think, I'm for gonna you. Get to, yeah. I'm going to get to 90 end of the season. Okay. All right. That's well, my goal. Okay. Hold you to that.
Um, okay, so Dennis, we've talked a lot about, you know, the new players that you guys have brought in and trying to work them in. Uh, a couple games back, you guys were in New York and you got to see a few of those guys. And, and I know you'd only spent half a season with, with OG and Malachi and Precious, um, but I know that, you know, you work pretty closely with Malachi, trying to bring them along, you know, doing your shooting, your shooting competitions together and stuff like that. Um, how was that experience going back up against those guys so soon after the trade? I mean, first of all, great guys, you know, um, Precious, OG, ML. I had a great time with them uh, for a few months. Uh, Good to see them every single day, working with them. Um, I mean, to Mel, you guys know we had a good relationship. You know, we seen him uh, the day before in New York, too, played a little cards and, you know, was just talking, got... Um, Went to dinner as well, you know, talked about life and how he likes it there and his change. Um, Precious and OG, I seen at the game, you know, and um, talked to OG um, in the back, in the locker room. And just, you know, because I think like he changing the whole organization from them, you know, and uh, he doing a really great job of like his plus minus since he got there is uh, insane. So... I mean, I'm really happy for him. He likes it, and um, that's what it's all about, just to be happy. And um, I think it's uh, really, really important for them to, um, you know, for him to keep grinding. Mel as well, when he gets his chance to get on the game, just to, um, you know, give everything he can to uh, to get on the floor and um, get that rotation minutes, you know, and uh, Precious as well. He killed us. Uh, he played oh, really he well against off. us. Uh, and yeah, he went off. Um, but like I said, like um, they're my brothers, and I'm uh, really happy for them. And um, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Well, you're seeing other changes too, right? On the flip side, you see RJ and Emmanuel coming in, and you know RJ, I think has hit the ground running. Like he he's he's shooting really effectively from the field. He's got a high field goal percentage. A lot of times he's leading your guys in scoring. I think for quickly he's been kind of up and down, and I. I want to ask you this because you also made a similar transition where you were really effective off the bench and then eventually you got a chance to start and how that kind of changed in your approach. Now, I think it was within the same team. It was all in Atlanta. You, did, you didn't change teams like quickly did midseason coming from New York to Toronto. But what was that adjustment like when you went from being the spark off the bench, you could score a lot, you can have the ball in your hands a lot versus when you're starting and you got to set the table and, and make sure everyone's involved in addition to scoring as well? I mean, he got to do, um, he just got to go through it. You know, he never experienced that. Um, he's still young, his fourth year in the league, um, new team as well. But I think he's doing a great job because he's just a, a good guy. I think he's doing a great job of, you know, um, keeping everybody engaged, being, uh, you know, good with everybody. Um, on the court, I think he just got to be aggressive. Um, he just got to be aggressive when two is, you know, when two people is on him, he just got to pass it out. It's that simple, you know, and uh, sometimes he's thinking too much and I know where it's coming from, but I mean, he just got to be aggressive and I think he's going to, you know, find it real quick um, and or real soon, let's say it that way. And uh, he's just getting comfortable, you know, in that position. Um, making sure everybody's involved. You know, you got to find the good rhythm with Scotty, you know. Um, and um, I think then uh, he's, 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 he's going to be good. He's going to be uh, real good for us. How much do you find yourself talking to him over the course of the game, whether at, you know, at a timeout, in, in a huddle, you know, halftime, things like that? Are you, do you find yourself doing that pretty actively? Like, hey, man, you, you could be a little bit more aggressive here. Look for your shot here. I, I see this opportunity for you here against this defense. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I try to talk to him when I see uh, something, you know, I try to make him better for just, you know, having a good conversation, telling him, listen, I think this is uh, what you got to do. Um, but being aggressive don't mean shoot 20, 30 shots. Just being aggressive, getting to the rim, and then make the decision, you know, for your teammates and for uh, the best of this team, you know. And um, I think uh, he just can't think too much. If he, you know, think too much, then he start guessing, and he just got to go be aggressive, be himself. And um, I think then he's going to be just fine. Yeah, well... You know, he's, he's a young guard. We've already seen, like, the upside, too. Uh, he can really shoot the three. Um, I think he's just not shooting that well in the paint right now, but clearly has that ability to shift speeds and, and get into the paint. So I'm, I'm hoping to see um, him because he's, he's going to be here a long time for the Raptors and just seeing his growth. Um, now, one thing I've been wanting to ask you for a while was just, you know, you've played with a lot of great teammates in your career. You know, you, you were in Boston. You played with those guys. The Lakers, you just came from LeBron and AD, enough said. You know, even before that, you were playing with All-Stars. Okay, so you're playing with All-Stars. So I wanted to do a thing where we just kind of draft a, a, a starting five of former teammates that you've played with before. Now, I'm going to take you out of this equation. I'm going to take the current Raptors out of this equation. I just talk about former teammates. But if you're cool with that, I want to actually just draft like an all-time five, Dennis Schroeder five, you know what I mean, of former teammates. Former teammates. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, because in Atlanta, I played with, you know, really unselfish guys who just want to win. Mm. I'm not saying the guys here now are selfish. I'm just saying that we had a team over there uh, with like eight people who scored maybe eight or nine points or mm. ten points, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. And um, that felt like a, like a real team and like a like a togetherness we really excited every time in practice and it was just a special um a special group and uh of course all those guys uh, i love but i mean if it's just about you know the quality of um you know uh, on the court getting a bucket um of course i say lebron james okay i say russell westbrook uh, PG thirteen. Ooh, uh, Jason Tatum. Ooh. Um, I mean, Shay and Jalen, those two guys. I mean, they they really special. Um, I left out a lot of guys too, like CB three. Yeah. Yep. You, you might know, need a center um, here too, otherwise you're nah, gonna have to. Nah. You're asking LeBron to play center in this lineup a little bit, maybe. So hold on, that's that's just um. From point guard to center? I mean, we can do it that way. I'm, I'm just picturing nah, what you, this lineup would look like. That's all. It's your game, man. It's I mean, your if team. It's a, if it's a lineup, then I got to be, I got to be, um, I'm going to do Shea. I'm going to do uh, Jason Tatum. Um, LeBron at four. AD at five. Mm. Uh, who and then probably PG. Yeah, probably Paul George. Man, look, Russ is thriving as a sixth man with the Clippers right now. So Russ could be the sixth man well, on this team. It's cool. You don't understand how how good the the the, the bench might be because you know. <laughs> 
You, you got we got Chris Paul coming off that bench. We we got Jalen Brown coming off that bench. Kyle Korver is a shooting specialist yeah, off the bench. Kyle Korver is a shooting specialist off the bench. You know, we 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 got Al Horford, you know, Paul Millsap. Al Horford. Yeah. Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague. I mean, we yeah. got a lot of people, CP3. Mm. I mean, I played with a lot of a lot of people, got a lot of knowledge knowledge from them, like what they do on a day-to-day basis on the court and off the court. Mm. Um, I think I helped, you know, Jason Tatum when I was in Boston, helped him transition because I just came from, you know, LeBron James, seeing what he do and um, helped him a lot, you know, um, off and on the court. Um, And I mean, poor George, my first year with uh, OKC, he had that MVP season. Um, He was unstoppable. I mean, he got hurt at the end of the season, but I mean, he was... uh, Pretty, pretty damn good. And he's playing uh, right now. He's playing on a on a high level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Bron, AD, play with a lot of people, man. Yeah. No, oh. man, you, you're going to have a lot of jersey swaps in the course of your career. Yeah, yeah there'd be a For lot sure. of... For I'm, sure. I'm, I'm trying to get every uh, every jersey right now. Every jersey. So well I, played against. I wanted to ask you a jersey-related thing because Bruce Brown told us the other day, he gets to Toronto, he sees that Jonte is wearing number 11. So he texted Michael Porter Jr. and was like, hey, would your brother give up his jersey number? I'll give him 10 grand. Yeah. So he gave Jonte 10 grand to give up the jersey number. You've worn 17, German national team, every team you've played for except the Celtics where it's retired for John Havlicek. Um, have you run into a situation like that where you had to get someone to give up your jersey number? And, and would you? Like, is it that important to yeah. you that if, if someone else had 17, you'd be like, hey, man, here's a, here's a little gift. Give me my number back. Uh, trust me, it's going to cost more than 10K all right, yeah. for stuff. I, I don't know about I don't know about uh, paying somebody, um, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm gonna get that number though. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, uh, I love uh, my number seventeen. I mean, that was my dad's favorite number. He passed away when I was sixteen, and uh, that number means a lot. Seventeenth mm. pick uh, in 2013. Mm. Uh, last year, uh, we won bronze medal with the national team, and that was seventeen years back. Uh, that we won, you know, a medal before, and wow. uh, the seventeeners keep uh, keep chasing me, and um, you know, and uh, I gotta I gotta get that everywhere I go. That's a cool story. I didn't know that. So, yeah, that is yeah. very cool. Also, though, you just gave away all your leverage. If you ever end up somewhere, everyone knows how important it is to you now. That person's gonna no, it, you if, drive a hard bargain. If he tells I'm that a, story, I'm gonna ask nicely. I'm, a, I'm <laughs> gonna ask always nicely. I'm gonna yeah. ask him. Listen, uh, it means a lot to me, and uh, see if he work it. You know, if you can't work it out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, listen. If you say that's my dad's favorite number, you got you, you just gotta give it up, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm folding yeah. instantly to that. So, um, Dennis, <laughs> take care. Enjoy a couple of days. I know Darko said it, it was kind of like an, another training camp for you guys. So, I know you guys have been running around. You guys got a long road trip kind of ahead too. But uh, you know, enjoy this time. You know, get better as a group, and we'll see you guys uh, take the court again on Friday. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Thank you. All right, Dennis Schroeder. Yo, he, yeah. he's, he's got a lot of good former teammates, man. Dude, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, CP3, Westbrook are your second and third string point guard. Yeah, you're you're doing okay. I'm happy you put Shea in the starting five. Yeah, he has yeah. Been, he's been light on bigs is the only thing. Like Dwight yeah. Howard's probably backing up or Paul Millsap as like a, I guess Millsap and Horford when you have them together yeah, in Atlanta yeah. is, uh, yeah, he's he's played with some good players, I think man. I put Pascal and OG on these lists now too. 
It's sad that yeah, not, we but... did say no. We did say nobody off of this team, but I guess technically there was a yeah. loophole there where he could have been like, yeah, OG is the stopper off the bench. I've had this like idea to do with him uh, for like four weeks running now. <laughs> so when I did this originally, Pascal and OG were on the team. So it's sad that uh, it's <laughs> it's sad that uh, man, they're I, not here no more. I, I should... get it. I, I get it. I get it. I yeah. get it. I, I brought up the, in do, prepping for this, I brought up those OKC rosters, and this is like way too niche, and mm-hmm. everyone probably turned it up, but I really want to ask him just how good a defender Andre Roberson was. Just because, like, ahead, man. We're going to have yeah. plenty of time with that. So yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, because that's obviously uh, that's my guy, but yeah. uh, those OKC teams were uh, a little awkwardly built, even though they were they were a lot of fun. They were a lot of man. fun, man. Um, very competitive year after year. And then, honestly, the the, the thing with OKC that I, I feel so sick about is how long were they even in the dumps? Like, they didn't even really have to tank for very long. No. Like, but, they and, just and rebounded a big, right away. With a big the, with part the of that Paul is Dorch because, trade. like, Shea just became so good. Yeah. But, like, they now have, like, probably the best future in the league. That's probably something we should do you know, in a future segment too, just in terms of like, yeah. who's got the best like young cores yeah. going forward. Now, to be clear, they, they've missed the playoffs three years in a row and they were like bottomed out enough to get top picks. But mm-hmm. really they only had, they went from 44 wins to 22 and 24 yeah. and then right back to 40. Yeah. That's so it was I mean, a quick, like, and that 44 win season, by the way, was in a shortened season. So that was really more like a 50 win season. Yeah. And then two years not being competitive and then right back to the play in last year. So I mean, I feel like they haven't been down that long, you know? Um, so it's good work. Presti, if you, if you can job, turn, buddy. if you can keep turning the guys who want to leave into good stuff, but and, I, you know what the key is, you got to trade them at the exactly the right time. And like, I mean, like I, it's like, yo, Paul George came off at MVP type of season, but like, and he like was third in MVP that year. And OKC player, had like all the leverage because the yeah. reporting was that Kawhi said, "Give me PG or it's not happening." I mean, and then it's not happening. Like, where was he gonna go? Lakers. The Lakers. I don't know. Toronto. You run it back on a one-year deal to win another ring and That's then do it all over again. Kawhi. That's what you should have done. The pandemic wouldn't even have happened. Behind, behind it, Blake, take that jersey Yeah, down. it never even would have happened if uh, uh, there's no bubble season, nothing like that. It's just yeah. everything. everything you, wouldn't have been you wouldn't have been in L.A. anyway, man. You would have been in Orlando in that bubble. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah, take a break and do some around the NBA. Let's take a break. Yeah, uh, Some incredible games in the NBA last night. 70 by Joel Embiid. 62 by Car Anthony Towns and a game winner as part of a 43 point game for Kevin Durant. So let's break those down. Yeah, not a game winner for Carl Anthony Towns, though. Oh, a game loser, actually, because he went one on five and, and got blocked at the end there. But uh, we're going to take this last break. I've been your host, Willu. You have been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Network Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Swim Lou, uh, co host, Blake Murphy. We are going to go around the NBA, and honestly, we're not going to go far. We've teased this a couple of times, so some incredible stat lines last night. Um, MB dropped 70. I was watching this with one eye on the Grizzlies game and one eye on the monitor. <laughs> Be honest. Uh, no, I, I, listen, it's, so, it takes a lot for me to not watch a Raptor yeah, game. Yeah, and so. for it's not that inconceivable to do at Scotiabank Arena. So where Will sits in the 590 booth, there are a couple of TVs. Yeah. 
uh, above. From my seat, a little tougher. I got to have it up on my laptop screen, mm-hmm. but I was managing a little bit, you know, taking my little notes and, and yeah. stuff. We're going to my trade deadline primer that no one's going to read because OG and Pascal already got traded. Oh, don't worry. Um, but yeah, and then I stuck around after. I could actually hear you doing the... <laughs> post-game reaction pod, which was depressing <laughs> while I was watching the end of the Timberwolves game. Um, let's start with uh, Embiid. So Embiid goes 24-41, yeah. 21 of 23 at the line, yeah. finishes with 70 points, 18 rebounds, five assists, somehow only a plus 11 against an 8-35 and 35 team. Yeah. Um, it's a, He's only the ninth player in NBA history to, to put up a 70-piece yeah, yeah. and is quite safely at this point, I think we can say, having the most efficient and maybe most impressive high scoring season in NBA history. We talked about it earlier in the year. No one had ever averaged this much, this many points on this few minutes mm. on this high true shooting percentage. It just continues to move in that direction. A 70 piece man. dude. He's, he's absurd. He's scoring over a point a minute right now uh, on the season. He's once again, leading the league in scoring. And um, yeah, when you watch the, the game, every time I looked up, it was just him. Just, bodying Wemby. Like, it wasn't entirely on Wemby. Like, it was a lot of, like, Zach Collins get in there, uh, Jeremy Sochan, like, you're going to get scored on. Every Like, everybody got scored on. When, when a guy scores 70, everyone holds a little bit of it. But, like, if if this were, like, the Kobe 81 game, like, Wemby's going to remember it as the Jalen Rose aspect of that. Yeah. Like, in the future when, um, you know, Wemby gets asked about, like, you know, what was your first welcome to the NBA moment? Like, this could be one of those. Yeah. Because there was so his many very times. first one will be that KD back to back that he had the two games right. against KD. Yeah, but this will be yeah Joel Embiid like dude, hey he was just pushing Wemby out the way and then dunking like and like not only the ridiculous. physicality but the like hey I think I'm going to be an MVP eventually. What does an MVP at peak MVP level look like? Well, Joel Embiid's the defending MVP. He might be the front runner for MVP right now. Just be Jokic. You could flip a three through a coin between him, Jokic, and Shea, I, mm. I think, for MVP right now. But that's what it looks like, right? And, like, I know yeah. I know MB gets clowned and stuff like that, and they were a little ahead at one point in the game. Maybe he didn't even... It's 70 I mean, points. It's, it's a Nick Nurse team, man. He played play 40 minutes. Like, also, this is it was a 10-point game. A regular day. 10-point yeah. game. It's not like it was outlandish for yeah. him to be out there. Wemby, by decently. the way, Wemby had 33 on the other side of 10-19 oh, yeah. shooting. He yeah, at yeah. least got some of it back. But, mm. man, I don't... Uh, there's no answer to Embiid. There's nothing you can do. Boston has the best shot at it probably without Horford. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Milwaukee, we'll see what their new coach ha- has in store for Joel oh, Embiid. Yeah, well. it's, a, it's a fascinating thing with the 76ers having flamed out in the playoffs in the second round as many times as they have because this is the type of scoring at this level and this volume and this efficiency that, like, on paper, it should be an impossibility in the playoffs. It should be like the, like facing those LeBron Cavs teams when they were actually good, mm-hmm. where it felt like there was no way to solve the problem that didn't create a bigger problem. Um, are you there with them yet? Or are you still need like are you still in? You got to see it in the playoffs. I think I definitely need to see it in the playoffs. Still, um, I think they still probably could use one more score. I can't win alone. Yeah, I mean he can't win alone. You know, like Tyrese Maxey's got to hit that high level in, in the playoffs consistently. Yeah. Um, as well, but I mean, they got a they got an incredible chance, and I think that Nick is going to do a great job coaching through them through making in game adjustments through some of those moments where I think in, in previous runs you would critique, for example, Doc Rivers for not doing with that group. Um, my thing with Embiid though is just like is he is he the biggest player in the history of the league at his size to also have an incredible mid range pull up. I mean, he's got to be like first of all, they're just like, like who else aren't, is even in the there mix aren't for that? like guys his size. Sure. In general. Yeah. yeah. But like guys the size are like 
you know, a Shaq type, for example. Yeah. Like, imagine if Shaq had a mid-range pull-up, too. Yeah. And also made all his free throws. Yeah, like, I don't know, the best mid-range, like, like David West had a midi, but it was all catch-and-shoot yeah, yeah. off Chris Paul pocket passes. Sure, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I don't, uh, I guess, like, like KD is almost seven feet, so that's no, the... No, but I mean, I, you know It's what I mean. not the same it's thing. The it's aspect. It's ridiculous, because, like, it does create this element of, like, like, imagine Brooke Lopez, for example, or even Rudy Gobert, right? Who, like, yeah, these, yeah. these are two okay, of the yeah. premier interior defenders, drop back style, but you mm. can play more conservatively because they are a defense unto themselves. And you now have a center who those guys have to guard. You don't have anyone on the court who's physically capable of guarding that guy other than those guys. And that guy can pull him out of the paint yeah. comfortably. Like string you out to the three-point line in pick and pop stuff, handle at the top of the floor. And even if, he, you know, say Embiid's on the handler side of a pick and roll, he's not going to do this a ton, mm. but like you can't even really all that comfortably drop back against it. You have to drop no, back against can. it because if he gets ahead of steam, you're toast and he's going to the free throw line. Yeah. But like, those are the kind of things that even against Rudy Gobert type defenders, yeah. Joel Embiid pushes on you. And oh, by the way, if you double Tyrese Maxey's over on the second side. Yeah. Like that's the thing. The, the worst shot at Embiid can get like the worst shot he can get is that mid range pull up. And he's amazing at the mid range pull up. Like what are the other shots that you would like the defense can corner him into? Like there is actually none of that really on the table like in terms of just biggest guys with them like mirrors but like like tim duncan i suppose yeah you know what i mean like, and even duncan was more of a like like i'm not that i'm not in the post but i'll kind of post you and free myself yeah. for the the turnaround like you know like I, I honestly weirdly enough Jokic has a lot of moves so it's like you don't necessarily yeah. think about it but the fact is he does have an unstoppable pull-up mid-range as well and he's got the like but, and, and mb could do some of this as well but Jokic has that like that fun part of his game where they operate so much dho and high post stuff where it's it, it's a pull-up but it's also more of like uh you thought he was gonna hand it off you thought mm. he was gonna make this pass and he's like like, to me, pull-up is, like, fluid. There's a lot of yeah, motion. Yeah. And Jokic Shake is like, well, I'm away. actually dribbling and pulling it up, but I was never moving in the first place. It's yeah. uh, it's interesting. The other thing is, like, the answer to your question a couple years ago of, like, well, what do you do with Embiid? What is a worse shot than that mm. to give him? Would have been the three-point shot. But he's at 36% over the last four years on threes, too. So, yeah. like, that's enough where I still think probably you would prefer him taking threes. Mm. Because 36 But you can't really force a, no, a guy that big to just only take three. No, like yeah, you can go under, you can drop, but yeah. like that also, like the, this is part of the problem with with under coverage or drop coverage, and why you know someone like Russell Westbrook, despite everyone going under screens against it forever, was able to still score at a, at a high level for a long time. Is well, that's a, a block of space that you get to pick up yeah. ahead of steam. Uh, one of the more impressive parts of that too, he got to seventy points, only made one three, mostly ones and twos. Joel Embiid got yeah. to 70 on ones and twos. Uh, by the way, shooting about 53% uh, from 10 feet to the three-point line. Yeah, it, it's it's an absurd shot. Honestly, a, a guy that big should not also have an incredible mid-range pull-up. Um, another big man who can really shoot, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, 62 points last night in, uh, I was going to say in the Garden. What's the what's the Hornets arena? It was in Minnesota. Oh, it's in Minnesota? Okay, yeah. okay, got you. You're right, actually, it was. Um, yeah, so he made 10 threes. I guess if it was the Hornets, you say in the hive, right? In the hive. Yeah, you know what? 62 in the hive doesn't really hit the same as 62 in the garden, mellow style. But, um, yeah, so 10 threes made for Carl Anthony Towns last night. Um, Very different though, style of racking up the points, right? That's what I mean. Like, I feel like, you know, you, we've seen some 70 pieces recently. Like, last year we saw Dame had, like, 71 against Houston. and uh, Donovan Mitchell. Did Mitchell it, had yeah. 70. Like, those guys all, I, I don't remember the top of my head, but at least hit, like, six, seven threes type yeah. of deal. 
I mean, Clay had, Clay had the like one and still got the seventies. Were wild to me. Yeah, but. Clay had the like sixty points, eleven dribbles game. Yeah, right. um, he made like eleven threes in that one or something. And like this is a fascinating one because like Keegan Murray had the thirteen three game not that mm-hmm. long ago too, right? And like that is obviously your red hot, and yeah. that is bending the game. That is game changing level of shooting. But three point shooting will eventually cool off. Yeah. What jo- the style in which Joel Embiid was dominating last night without the threes, and, and sure, maybe the free throws dry up at some point, but it's Joel Embiid. We know they're not going to dry up at some point. That Towns game where he was still good, but he was 11 of 20 inside the arc. Yeah, That's not crazy efficient. Mm-hmm. It's He didn't get to the line as much because it was more of a jump shooting game. I think you can, what I'm getting is I understand how even against an irredeemably bad defensive team, the tap eventually went dry. Oh, yeah. On the Towns stuff. And yeah. Now, Two or ten in the fourth quarter. Yeah. There's also reporting out there. So John Krasinski uh, of The Athletic, uh, who does a great job covering the Timberwolves, reported that, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically the Timberwolves players were very aware of yeah, yeah, yeah. not only Towns' stat line, but what Joel Embiid was doing elsewhere. And we heard Chris Finch after the game say, and this is not paraphrasing, this is a direct quote, absolutely disgusting performance on defense and immature basketball. Mm. The immature basketball. Sounds like the react pod. (laughs) The immature basketball. They're referring to the Uh, team, basically towns watching after he had gotten a certain, certain amount of scoring. So the Timberwolves lost this game. Carl Anthony towns gets blocked on the winner. Blocked. So I believe it was a, it was a two point game at the end there. Uh, Or three. Yeah. One possession game. Towns decides to go for the drive, and I'm not kidding when I say this. All five Hornets converge on Towns as he's driving to the basket to the point where it's like Nikhil's open in the left corner. Anthony Edwards is open on the top, and Jaden McDaniels is wide open in the corner to the degree where, like, Towns had, like, two, three opportunities to pass it to him. He goes one on five and gets stuffed because he's going one on five. And, yeah, I mean. Leaky Black gets credit for the block. There you go, yeah. But honestly, four guys could have blocked him. It was like yeah. that Kobe picture where he's shooting over four New Jersey yeah. Nets, except they're all blocking him. Like, yeah. uh, and then Towns got yeah. another crack at it as the buzzer expired yeah. for a potentially game-tying three, and it didn't drop. Yeah, so um, that's tough, man. It, it's tough to drop a career high and, uh, and still <laughs> still lose. It's also like, yeah. I mean, it. I know the Timberwolves have done so much work this year rehabbing the what the perception of the Timberwolves and like we clown Rudy Gobert, yeah, yeah. Carl Anthony Towns is like one of the best players who like has never really felt like that guy with yeah, level of right. consistency. And they had done a lot to erase that. And they still they're tied with the Bucks for the second best record in the league. But on a night like that, it's like, ooh, there's still a little bit of that in mm. them. Like yeah. they're still I'm not saying I don't believe because they're thirty and thirteen. They have a, a good yeah. point differential and stuff like that. But I'm not all the way there with them still. Mm-hmm. And I, like last night, I guess it's it's only one game, but it did feel a little bit like, oh, I do know these guys a little bit. Right. You are kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. In, yeah, in or way. at least them to come back down to being like respectably good instead of top of the table good. Yeah. And the West is getting crazy tight at the top now where the Clippers, Nuggets, mm-hmm. and Thunder are all within two games of them. Yeah. Um, by the way, the Hornets, who are obviously not trying to win. Yeah. Lost or won this game. And that uh, on a night that the Spurs lost, this, it's so funny because the tip, we we get the reporting that the Timberwolves players were looking at the 76ers game and were very aware of Embiid's stat line. But they're on their phones at halftime, kind yeah. of. Deal. Yeah, and the Hornets on the other side, nowadays. the Hornets, at least their their management, are on the other side watching that game really intently too. Like, please don't win Spurs. <laughs> please don't win Spurs uh, as they chase for the bottom <laughs> yeah. here. Then yeah. they accidentally win and trade Terry Rozier immediately, which we didn't get a lot of time to do earlier, but uh, Kyle Lowry got traded today. Mm-hmm. So Kyle Lowry is, uh, along with the 2007 
2017 lottery protected first to Charlotte uh, for Terry Rogier. Um, I, I know we did a little bit of it with Scotto, but uh, how do you feel about that one? It feels oh, that's feels the odd for the Kyle part, right? Like like I know Kyle's not that great at this point. He's still solid, and you got to do what you got to do to make the contracts work and stuff. But it does kind of I don't know. It doesn't feel nice as well, a Kyle guy. It doesn't feel nice, but I, I think that for Kyle, he's going to appreciate even more how much he was loved here in Toronto. Because, like, him going to Miami, even though I think admittedly when you sign a guy to a $30 million deal, it's like you expect something, you know, proportionate to that. And his raw counting totals just never really accounted for that in Miami. Having said that, though, he's a starting player who played huge moments as a Heat team went to the conference finals, to a game seven in the conference finals, and then the next year went to the finals. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's all Kyle. That's, uh, clearly, it was Jimmy Butler and then Bam. And you can even go you know, down the list a little bit in terms of other guys who stepped up, Kayla Martin at times last year and stuff like that. But like Kyle played a lot of minutes in all those runs, and I get it. Like He wasn't takeover. He wasn't Dame. He wasn't like an all-star type of uh, scorer. But he brings a lot of little small things and tangibles that are pretty, pretty crucial when it comes to winning you know, uh, small playoff games or, or big playoff games like that. So... Um, He'll be somewhere. I feel bad. I mean, it was even seeing the reaction of like some Heat fans being like, you know, how dare he stood where he stood? Like, how dare he's wearing number seven that Goran Dragic had? I'm like, damn, that's how I feel about Goran in Toronto. How dare yeah. he come in and replace Kyle? But I guess the feeling is mutual uh, in, in that sense, though. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. The Rozier is an upgrade offensively. There's no doubt. So, so. Um, the other the reporting around this is, you know, the Hornets aren't done. They're going to try to find yeah. a spot for Kyle Lowry. They, they could be sellers in other regard. This is not a question I'm asking you for the Raptors because yeah. they're obviously not in buy mode and, and they shouldn't be. But when you look at this Hornets roster that has Gordon Hayward on expiring, Kyle Lowry on expiring, uh, PJ Washington with two more years left after this and who knows where he really fits. Um, that's about it mm. for guys that they have. So Hayward and Lowry both make a, like around 30 million are expiring. And there's like PJ Washington. Like, is there anything on the Hornets that moves you if you're a contending team around the league? Or like to make the salary, like Gordon Hayward's yeah. still a nice player. Sure. But like, you got to make the salary math work on that. It's going to be nah, hard I mean, for the Hornets to pick up for much these guys more, right? Bought out. It happens, man. Like, yeah. you know, unless you take on bad long term salary to, to get it done. Yeah. Um, not really. I'm not going to lie to you. No, not really. There's not any guys, you know, that you would look on the roster and say, like, this guy's going to come in and help me win immediately. And that's what playoff teams would be looking to get. Rozier was the closest one to that. I mean, he's been part of, obviously, Boston when, you know, there were runs where Kyrie was injured and he was starting Scary Terry. That's the whole thing that that started then. But, um, yeah, the rest of that group, I'm not even sure. To be, what are they even building around Melo? I don't know, man. I mean, is yeah. Honestly, the, my in, in prepping for this segment and my reaction to that trade and doing some of the trade deadline prep, it's not going to happen. It's too early. The Hornets wouldn't do this. They'd be so lost without it. Someone got free LaMelo ball out of there, and it should be the Toronto Raptors because, oh. um, I mean, you'd have a, a pretty quick identity. Uh, it's not going to happen, obviously. it's uh, He's in year four. You don't trade away young potential star You're players. Gonna, but um, So there's a Marching Gortat quote recently. We're skipping KD to go to Marching Gortat? Oh, oh yeah, I guess, sorry. No, it's uh, a, it's no a, it's do KD think. So KD had the, the game winner last night. He finished with 43 points. Yeah, home and then, uh, a regular game. Yeah, uh, afterward was uh, about the 70-piece from Joel Embiid. Said the skill level is insane. The coaching and schemes on offense is insane. Yeah. This is the peak of basketball, in my opinion. 
you know, light 43 in a winner for KD. Right, right. I mean, come on, man. No one even cares when you score 43 in a game winner when someone scores 70 and someone else scores 62. But do you agree with that statement, though? Like, yeah, this is the peak of basketball. I mean, I, I'm not... I'm I'm not that old, so like yeah. I don't I, like I wasn't. Is the is it the peak of basketball in your lifetime? Yeah, it certainly is. Okay. And, and like we can, you know, we we have to approximate these things with numbers and stories and and last dance documentaries and stuff like that. And I I would imagine if I were a little older, I would say no. There's no way to top the MJ era of mm. basketball. It was too. There were too many good stars. There were too many good stories around that Bulls team and the Michael Jordan of it all. Um, and I would understand that, but I wasn't watching basketball. I was a child. Um, now, though, you see, like, we can quantify some of this. Like, offense has never been higher. It's never been higher on a per-possession basis. It's never really been higher even, like, when we control for pace and stuff like that. It's just the skill level's crazy. The amount of three-point three, po- three point percentage has never really exploded, but the amount that teams take them mm. has opened up the floor so that it's really, really hard to defend the rim now. Yep. And if you're a mid-range guy like KD, that's there for you. Like, that's that's why that is the land of superstars. Not right. It's not out of the game entirely. It's just that's that's for stars. So... Um, it's to the point, and you and I have, have flirted with this a couple times this year, where the league might have to give some stuff back to defenses at some point because Maybe. it's hard for, like, guys are bigger, guys are faster, guys are better trained, mm-hmm. guys better nutrition, the skill set is higher, and there's not an answer for defenses. Yeah. And, like, it's cool that that scoring lines are high, scores are high, the, the pacers are what they are, dropping yeah. 150, highest over under ever, et cetera. Um, but at some point, I think the league might need to give something back to defenses to, to combat the rising skill level. Do you agree with what he said? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, look, we're all living in the same time and, you know, relatively even similar in age to KD. So, you know, I'm just going to acknowledge that. But I, I think also at the same time, like, so I remember watching. God, I'd say I'm older games, than Kevin Durant. Like 10, 15, 20 years ago where it's like you watch a game and you're like, all right, there's like three or four guys you don't really need to guard mm-hmm. out of the 10 on the court, right? Like, let's say you're playing. You're watching the Bulls from back in the day when it's like Derrick Rose's Bulls. I don't really need to guard Keith Bogans. No offense to Keith Bogans. No. I don't need to guard him. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's that kind of player on the court at almost every single time in that era where it's like a defensive specialist uh, on the wing or like a big who's largely a rebounder who can't shoot at all. Like, there's just those archetypes right. were everywhere on each team. And now when I watch games, I'm like, there's very few guys you can actually just, like, completely ignore. Well, this is why, and, like, I, I feel like Tony Allen was maybe the tipping point for this in the Grit yeah, and Brian yeah, sure. Grizzlies, where okay. the conversation became not who the best defender is. Yeah. Who is the best defender that can be on the floor in a playoff game where it doesn't hurt your offense? And Tony Allen was, like, right on the line, and he did yeah. enough offensively as a spot-up shooter and cutter and things like that to be worth it. Mm-hmm. But if you fall on the other side, like, look at Matisse Tybel's career. He just has a very, very good defender. Just yeah. hasn't done enough offensively yeah. to where he's, he's a rel- himself to be a decent shooter. A decent shooter, but he's not, right. you know, Andre Roberson, to go back to that example from earlier, yeah. like he was so good defensively and did enough as a cutter and offensive rebounder, but the second, like, his knees deteriorated a little bit, the defense dropped 5%. Yeah. Okay, you're not doing enough offensively anymore. Um, you know, I mean, there's a reason that the Raptors during their championship run shrunk the rotation like six and a half guys at mm. times. It's just, you can't, the, the higher level of basketball, the deeper you get in the playoffs, less and less you can give up to an opponent. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what you're saying is pretty accurate. There's there the barrier to entry as an offensive player now is it's is crazy really high. high. Like you look at the Bulls, for example, they lost the game yesterday to the Suns, right? And they're three games under 500, and they're starting a lot. Of, you you can't really only just leave Patrick Williams wide open. He can score a little bit. Demar Derozan obviously is a skilled scorer. Vucevic is a skilled scorer. Kobe White's a skilled scorer, and then Caruso hit five threes. Like, 
It's like the Raptors game, like John Conchar, established scorer, Vince Williams, established <laughs> Luke Kennard, right. Santi Aldama. You can't leave oh. these guys alone to stop Jaron Jackson's 20-point first quarter. Buddy, we got a whole yeah. bunch of days with no Raptors games here either, so yeah. uh, get ready for a lot more John Conchar talk the next couple oh, wow. days. It sounds like a threat. Um, yeah. What was the last, uh, real quickly, what was the Marching Gortat thing? Oh, so he told Hoopsype that uh, after he was waived by the Clippers, he uh, wished he had gone to the Toronto Raptors. They called me six times and I didn't go. I could have been an NBA champion today. So this must have been 2019. This is the Eric Moreland spot. Wow. Could have been Marching Gortat willing Josh Lewinberg instead. <laughs> No comment. Uh, hey, you, you the, the franchise <laughs> could have had a legacy of setting those uh, dirty borderline illegal Gortat screens that I love so much, at least. <laughs> yeah, okay. Shout sure. out to Eric Moreland, I guess. We're done today before yeah. slander any more media members. I'm your host, Will Evil, listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, thanks once again to co-host Blake Murphy, producer uh, Mark Balfo, Daniele Franceschi, our board producer Derek Vandale, Jennifer Olek, David Sis, Jeremy Manitad, and big thanks to our guests, Michael Scotto and Dennis Schroeder. We'll be back tomorrow.